0: My name is Father Thomas Steinke, and I'm currently serving at St. Anthony of Padua Parish in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Today is Friday of the fifth week in Ordinary Time. Today I'm gonna talk about the greatest of miracles. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus left the district of Tyre and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the district of the Decapolis. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him off by himself away from the crowd. He put his finger into the man's ears and spitting touched his tongue. Then he looked up to heaven and groaned and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And immediately the man's ears were open His speech impediment was removed, and he spoke plainly. He ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished, and they said, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So in today's Gospel, People brought him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him, he immediately healed him. And at the end of the passage, Scripture says they were exceedingly astonished, and they said, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus performed one of his many miracles, and this power of performing miracles he passed on to his disciples. When Luke was describing the ministry of and Barnabas at Iconium, he said that the Lord confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. So today I want to talk about miracles and the effect they have on our faith. A miracle can be defined as a sensibly perceptible effect surpassing at least the powers of visible nature produced by God to witness to some truth or testify to someone's sanctity. So on account of the miracles God does, St. Thomas says that it's not foolish to assent to the truth of the Catholic faith, even though there's no sense perceptible knowledge for human reason to use as evidence in connection with the mysteries of our faith. For example, we can't prove with unaided human reason that the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ is present in the most blessed sacrament, and St. Thomas says that we shouldn't try. If we do, he says, we will give reasons that are not persuasive and unbelievers will laugh at us. Nevertheless, God reveals the truth of his teachings by what Thomas calls fitting arguments in order to confirm those truths that exceed natural knowledge. The fitting arguments, he says, are the works that surpass the ability of all nature, that there are the wonderful cures of illness, there's the raising of the dead, etc. Interestingly, he says that for the mind of mortal man to assent to the teachings of the Catholic faith is the greatest of miracles. He says in innumerable Numerable number of people come to the faith despite persecution, despite the fact that the Christian faith denies some pleasures of the flesh, and spurns things of this world. More specifically, he says, "Quotes, this wonderful conversion of the world to the Christian faith is the clearest witness of the signs given in the past, so that it is not necessary that they should be further repeated." since they appear most clearly in their effect. For it would be truly more wonderful than all signs if the world had been led by simple and humble men to believe such lofty truth, to accomplish such difficult actions, to have such high hopes. Yet it is also a fact that, even in our own time, God does not cease to work miracles to his saints for the confirmation of the faith. So what Aguinas is saying is that it's truly beyond natural comprehension that anyone should accept the teachings that's so contrary to the senses and to what the world teaches. To accept the teachings of the Catholic Church requires a dramatic change in the way in which one lives, such as rejecting the pursuit of earthly pleasures and riches in favor of something that is in the future, is unseen, and is taken on faith. Aguinas position reminds us that we should not forget that miracles cannot really be fully understood except in the context of faith. So what is the relation of miracles to non-believers? Well, non-believers, by the very fact that they are non-believers, prove that they do not possess the life of God in their soul. They don't have the gift of faith and thus they are not capable of believing the lofty truth as taught by the Catholic faith. But they can still reason, and one of the most common ways that people come to the faith is through the miracles they witness within the church. As noted, above, we're not foolish to believe, even on a natural level. Throughout the history of the church, there have been so many supernatural miracles performed by followers of Jesus Christ, the reading of souls, and corrupt bodies of saints, miraculous healings, and miraculous conversions that are compelling evidence that there's something greater than man at work here. God can and does use these miracles to lead people to confession and frequenting the sacraments. So I remember uh, someone brought a book to me to bless about the power of the Eucharist and said he wanted to give someone who didn't have faith. And after a brief discussion I suggested maybe a book about Eucharistic miracles might be better proportioned to him Even people who are far away from God are sometimes fascinated by the miracles within the church and these can be instruments God uses to lead them to confession. Nevertheless, the most compelling miracles for you and I are the wonders he works within our souls. These should make us the most eloquent eloquent witnesses. We ought to profess our faith in the real presence of Jesus Christ by the transforming effect he has had in our lives. Everybody tells me their spiritual life goes better when they go to daily mass, and I know this from my personal experience. The more time I spend in adoration, the more time I, the more rosaries I pray, the uh, and the more fervently I receive Holy Communion, the better my spiritual life. And that's true for everybody. So we need to become witnesses to these miracles of grace that Jesus Christ has worked in our souls. We need to become apostles of the Holy Eucharist. And to define what an apostle of the Holy Eucharist is, I'll quote Father John Hardin, and I will end with this. An apostle of the Eucharist is one who is personally very devoted to the Holy Eucharist, as real presence, as the sacrifice of the Mass, and as Holy Communion. An apostle of the Eucharist is one who realizes that there is no solution to the problems of the world or the problems of the church, except through the Holy Eucharist. An apostle of the Eucharist is one who does everything in his power by word and example to promote a deeper faith in the Eucharist as present sacrament, as sacrifice sacrament, and as communion sacrament. All these are seen as the main sources of divine grace for the whole human race. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed hearing the gospel and homily, I invite you to share it with someone you know who may also find it rewarding, and also to subscribe to the Catholic Voice channel. Please see in the description below if you would like to receive a text message for each daily gospel and homily. Please also keep our missionary priests throughout the world in your prayers. Thank you, and God bless.